Someone turn to your neighbor and just say, praise the Lord. Isn't it good that we serve a great God? And we can come and we can worship Him. Band, what a great job today, praise team. Great job. It was good to have Jeff back. Jeff, it's so good to have you back up here, brother. If you're ever wondering how good our God is, look up on our YouTube channel when Jeff gave his testimony and you'll see just how good our God is. He has worked in that man's life. He's worked in your life. He's worked in my life. We serve a good God. There was more hollering yesterday at the TV than that. Come on now. We serve a good God. That's better. That's better. You know, all of us in this room, we're unique. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're really unique. I didn't say special. I said unique. <laughs> you're really unique. All of us has something that makes us unique. No one in this room is dressed exactly the same. I don't see anybody in here dressed like me. Thank God. That, that would be it. That's a blessing for you. Oh, thank you for the applause. Uh, I will not wear this next week. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so kind. We, we all have things that make us unique. We have certain, certain things, certain styles, certain personalities, certain likes and dislikes, right? There's one thing I really like, and that's fedoras. I like fedoras. Did anybody else wear a fedora today to church? How about that? I am the only one. I am very unique because I like fedoras. I have a black one that is wore out, that I wore it out because I wore it so much. And I have a new one I got for Christmas last year. It's a black fedora, and I usually wear it when it's raining. And, and I just like fedoras. But I will tell you, when I, I've started liking fedoras, I kind of felt strange to wear them in public, especially in the South. Because I, when I grew up, the only hat a man has on is either a cowboy hat or a ball cap. That was what a man wore. And when, when I started liking fedoras, I was like, there's nobody else wearing them. But I'd watch these old movies. Some of you grew up during a time when every man had a fedora. If you grew up during that time, don't raise your hand. That's, that's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. She, Miss... Miss Melinda back there, she's proud she grew up during that time. But men wore fedoras. Every man had a fedora. Now men don't have fedoras, but I have a fedora. I'm very unique. Somebody can say amen. I am. Yes, he is. Some of you would even say I'm a little strange. Weird at times. And you, uh, uh, hold on now, Miss Shirley. You, you don't need to uh, agree that much back there. <laughs> but... Some of you have been around my wife and you would say, she's crazy. Anybody think my wife is just crazy at times? Come on. No, no there's only one. Two. Okay, there's two in the room. Three. I see some nodding heads. My wife can be crazy at times. You think that she's very prim and proper and this southern bell lady, and which she can be, but she can also be a little crazy at times. She's very unique. The person sitting to your left and to your right or in front of you or behind you they are unique. We are unique people. Why are we so unique? God made us that way, didn't he? All of us have a different fingerprint. No one in this room has the same fingerprint, especially Miss Juanita. She no longer has fingerprints. 
She worked so hard. I'm, I'm serious. This isn't a joke. She does not have any fingerprints. So if you need some extra money from the bank this week, if you'll give her the note, she'll take it and give it to the teller, and they'll never be able to trace it. <laughs> so anyway. You know, our God's unique. We're unique. And when we look at God's people, to understand God's people, we often want to study that and try to be a better person for God, right? But to understand God's people better, we must understand the God that makes them His people. So as we begin to look in the Scriptures today in 2 Samuel, we're going to be really addressing this idea of understanding God and knowing God better. It has been said that the most important thing about you is your view and your ideas about God. Because that will shape how you spend your money, how you have relationships, what choices you will make on a daily basis. How you view God will impact every area of your life. Charles Spurgeon said, He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. Charles Spurgeon was convinced that the more we think about God, the more we study God, the bigger our mind can get and the more wisdom we can have. And I believe he's right. And today we're coming to a place in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where David, many of you have heard of David, he is now king of Israel. He has, through a lot of events, come to a place that has made him the king over the entire nation. Now, when he first becomes king, there is a little bit of a divide there because somebody else wanted to be king, and there's a little bit of a divide. But by chapter 7, it is one nation. He is the king over the entire nation of Israel. David has to fight a couple of enemies, and we looked at that last week as he was having to face some of the, some of the Philistines a couple of times in, in chapter 5 last week. And so in chapter 6, we, we can see where he's trying to move the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, which he has set up as the new capital. By the way, you may not under, know this, but Jerusalem was not always the capital of Israel. Jerusalem became the capital under King David. He made it the, that's why it's called the city of David. The actual capital uh, used to be somewhere else, but under David it becomes Jerusalem. So David is trying to move the, the Ark of the Covenant there. It doesn't work out the way he had hoped. And so he, it finally he is able to get it there. Anyway, David comes to a place where he begins to go, you know, I have this nice house, this nice cedar home, and God's got a tent. This isn't fair. This isn't right. He deserves something nice. So let's build something nice for him. So David decides that he wants to do that. Well, in the process of him doing that, on that same night that he declares that he wants to build a temple for God to put the Ark of the Covenant in, God visits a man by the name of Nathan, who was a prophet, and spoke into David's life some words to say, David, I have brought you a long way, but you're not the one to build the temple. I haven't asked for one. I'm, I'm not asking you to build one. You're not going to be the one to build a temple. And so David responds to that. And so we're going to look at this idea of, of, of understanding God better in the midst of this time when David wanted to do something noble for God. And to look at it, you would think, yeah, that's a great thing to do. But God had another plan, and we're going to learn a little bit more about God. I want us first to look in chapter 7, and, and I want you to go all the way down to verse 22, because this is the key verse 
And this is actually a, a section that is often called the Davidic covenant. The covenant that d- declares between God and David, I am, going to, I am going to establish your family and your kingdom forever. You're going to be part of the lineage of the Messiah. He was declaring a covenant between him and David and for his heirs. So this is called the Davidic covenant. It is a, it is a very pivotal moment in David's life in this moment when he wants to build it and God says no and he responds back to that. When we look in verse 22 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, David says these words, For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And I heard the crows outside. Let me read that again and see if I can get you to respond as I read this. For this reason, David said, You are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. That's more like it. And there is no God besides you. There isn't another God. See, the very first thing that we want to look at with looking at the unique ones, there's going to be some unique ones that I want us to talk about in this passage this morning. The first one is this, the unique God. There is one unique God. There isn't two, there's not four, there's not six, there's not alternatives. There is one unique God made up of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. See, David says this right here. Back in this period of time, he says, O Lord God, for there is none like you, you're unique. And there is no God besides you, there's only one. There is a unique one God that we worship just like David. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, how great is our God? Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. In the New Testament, it declares there is one God, one Father of all. Only A divine being could be so great. David addresses God and says, You are great and makes it specific. Oh, Yahweh Elohim. In the Hebrew, that's the two words that he uses there. For there is none like you. Oftentimes the word Elohim could be used for other gods. Elohim was a Hebrew word that simply meant God. But he makes makes sure it's very clear. Yahweh, Yahweh, Elohim. One unique God. He made promises in the Torah and He fulfilled them. He would foretell what would happen and they'd come to pass. There is only one God that left His abode and came to earth so that we can have a relationship. All the other gods in this world that is worshipped... That is the unique thing about Christianity is that we are convinced that God left heaven and came to earth, lived as a man named Jesus, and died on a cross and rose from the grave just so we can have a relationship with Him. He took our punishment in our place. All the other religions around the world with their gods wants us to live up to a standard so that we can be accepted by the God. But I'm here to tell you, our one unique God has already accepted you. All you got to do is just accept Him. You are accepted with God. He's one unique God who loves you and He cares about you. The other unique 
one in this particular passage is found in 23 and 24. Verse 23, And what one nation on the earth is like your people, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you, an awesome thing for your land, before your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from nations and their gods. For you have established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God." other words, David is saying there is a unique people that you have chosen. I'm reminded in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, as Peter is writing to born-again believers, you and I, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, he writes these words, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. I am here to declare there is a one unique people and they bear his name and it's called Christian. It's the one that bears Jesus Christ and portrays him in their life. I am, I'm also going to tell you just because someone says they're a Christian don't make them a Christian if they have no Jesus. If they have no Jesus they're no more a Christian than I am. I am a Lamborghini standing up here on this, this, this platform. Or Cary Grant, whichever way you'd want to look at it. Without Christ, you do not belong to the one unique people. God died for everyone. He has given it as an offering. He puts it out there because He loves you. He did it because He cares. He wants to see you in relationship with Him. But you must have Jesus Christ. You must accept Him into your life or you'll never ever truly be called a Christian in God's eyes. Because the word Christian means Christ-like. C-H-R-I-S-T is how you spell Christian. And can I tell you something? If you don't act like Christ, stop telling people you're a Christian. Ouch, pastor, don't step on my toes. You just need to hear that. Either make a choice. Don't be in the middle. Either be black or be white. Be hot or be cold, the Bible says. Either be part of the one unique people and be a Christian or just get over on the other side. And if you know Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you something, you will not get away with it. You can say, okay, fine, Pastor, you're, you, you just gave, gave, gave me the right, the authority. I don't have to show up at church no more. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I'm just going to walk away from the faith. If you do, if you do and you know Jesus Christ, you better fasten your seatbelt because he will not let you get away with that. As his child, he will bring you back. And if you do not know Jesus Christ and you do that, it is worse than if you had never stepped foot in a church. Why is that? Because the scriptures, they, they even address this in the New Testament. That for those who have actually tasted of the Lord and walk away, it's so much harder and worse for them to understand the truth of Jesus Christ. And their eternity is destined for hell. I'm here to tell you today that God is a unique God and He has a unique people that is covered by the blood of Jesus. 
we must embrace that we have one unique God and we're one unique people. The third thing that we see in this scripture that I want to bring out today in chapter 7 is that not only is there one unique God and one unique people, and through Jesus Christ we're part of that, but there's one unique story. There's one unique story. See, beginning in verse 8, I'm just going to read just a little bit of it, not all of it, but 8 through 16 in chapter 7. Now, therefore, thus you shall, shall say to my servant David. See, David is a king, and when you look at the very first of this chapter, in chapter 7, verse 1, he, now it came about when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, that the king said to Nathan, there is a kingship that is being talked about in verse 1. But when you get to verse 8, there's a different title given to, the, to David. Look at this. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, not your king or the king, but my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my, for my people. <coughs> and he goes on and on and on. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, talking about his son. And there is a very unique story in David's life. He began as a shepherd. He fought lions. He fought bears. He killed them. He had to fight a giant. He had to run from a king. He has a very unique story. But in the midst of that unique story is the hand of God working on, on every turn, left and right. God was working in his story. And we may see that in Scripture and say, well, D David, he's one of the greats in the Bible. He is just a, a great God. But let me remind you of this about what God said in Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11, He said what? Some of you can quote it. For I know the plans I have for you, declares who? The Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for you individually. There is a unique person in this room called by your name, and there is a unique story that God is working out in your life because He's a unique God, and He is working clearly in your life. Nothing will have more of a practical impact on the way that you live your life than understanding how great our God is, how powerful, how wise, and how He is for you. See, we think God is for the church. God is for the, the larger mass, and maybe He is. But can I tell you, God is for you. Here is a staggering idea for you to consider. If you had been the only person, the only one, in all of history, that would have stood up and said, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. Do you know what Jesus would have done? He would have left heaven. He would have come to earth. He would have lived. He would have been beaten. He would have died on the cross and rose from the grave just for you. If no one else in history would have said yes to the Lord, he still would have done it. Because you are that important to Him. He wants to work in your life. How great is our God? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, Now to Him who is able to do abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. 
God is so great, He can exceed anything you can think of. Anything you can pray about. Anything that you can face. God is so great. You may think you know the answer, but God's answer is much farther beyond what you could even ask or think. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen, is what Paul writes. That is absolutely a truth. Our God is able. Our God is great. We've sang about it all morning. Our God is a unique God, and He is a great God. He's a powerful God. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoptions as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It's only through that spirit of adoption we can call Him Abba, Father. Only through Jesus Christ can we call Him Father. Only through Jesus Christ can we be a Christian. It's not based on the church you go to or the Bible translation you read out of. It's only based on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Here's the key for us today. Here's the key I want you to walk away with in the answer to how great is our God. The one true God is working in my story. The one true God is working in my story. Whether you've thought about God this week or not, He's been working in your story. Whether He was even on your radar this last week, He's working in your story. If you thought about Him every day, He's working in your story. Him working in your life is not dependent upon whether you agree or disagree or believe or do not believe. God is working in your life. Verses 18 through 21, you can read through that and how powerful it is. David comes to this place after he's heard this from Nathan. And he says in verse 18, Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Listen to that. David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? He understood that God was working in his life individually and personally. It was not by his power, strength, or intellect, his good looks, his abilities that got him where he was. He acknowledged, O God, you have brought me this far. Because you are a great God. In verse 19, And yet this was insignificant in your eyes. What that means is that it was nothing to God. Someone once said, I only pray on the really big things that, that, that I, for, to, to God. The stuff that's really big and there are major problems and there are a big issue, then I bring those to God. But the little things, I don't bother God with that. Number one, God is never bothered when you pray to Him. And number two, even the big things are no big deal to God. They're insignificant. For us to measure what we're going to give God and not to give God is to say, God, I know what you deserve and I'm going to keep these little things to me and give the big things to you. We need to get to a place where we go, God, you just got it all. Even this little bitty thing. I sure would like to know that, God, you're going to have our finances can you give me a break this week? Somewhere during the week, God, I just need a little break, just one little thing. And you show up at a store, and all of a sudden, 
the lady behind the counter goes, hey, there's a coupon for that. You can save 50%. Would you like to use it? Why, absolutely. And it is God saying, I've got you. Even in the little things, if we don't pray about the little things, we won't see Him happen in the little. And then when the big things come along, we can't even hear His voice because we've not been looking for Him in the little. So I would urge you and plead with you, the little, the big, pray to God because He wants to be involved in your story. And those big things that seem to be dragging you down and messing you up. Let me just read to you what God says about that. And we know that God causes all things. Church, I said all things. How many things? All things. Little, medium size, and big. Things I know and things I don't know. God causes all things to work together. All of them will work together for good to those who love the Lord. Now, there's the key. To those who love God who are called according to His purpose. Those who belong to Him, those who are pursuing Christ, God's going to work these things. See, you have a unique story, and God's trying to work those things to make you more like Jesus, to bring you to a place where, where you say, My God, my God, how great is my God. How awesome is my God. That's where He's bringing us to. That's the journey He has us on. So what must I do? What do I need to do? I think as we look here at David, there's something very interesting. Uh, I just read it just a second ago about how, how David begins to recognize something very critical in his life. Look at verse 8 and 9 uh, for me in chapter 7. Uh, 18, sorry. Uh, verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far. What is he referring to? Look back up at verses 8 and 9. God says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people. David recognizes grace in his life. He recognizes he's got things he did not deserve. He's gone places he did not plan to go because God is just so good to take him there. Because he was faithful, he was called according to his purpose. In other words, what he did, he was wanted God to be at the center of it. So as we look at this, the first thing we need to do is recognize the grace of God in our life right now and in this moment. He, recognizes, he recognized the promises and he knew that what God said would come to pass because he believed that God's word was true. And it was for the sake of your word and according to your will over in verse 21 that he understands that this grace is because of how great our God truly is. The second thing that I think we can see in David's life that we can do to really embrace how great our God is is personally give glory to God. Verse 22 of chapter 7, here he goes. He says, For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. See, our God is a great God. And David understood, I am going to take the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I'm going to give glory to God in the midst of every bit of it. I am going to declare just how good and how great our God is, regardless of what the weather's like going on around me or what my circumstances are. My God is great, David declared. He said, my God is awesome. And it is to establish His name. His name 
is the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, and that name is Jesus Christ. His name makes a difference in our life and other people's lives. See, for David, he understood a great principle. It did not matter to him who built the temple just as long as God's will was done. In our life, we sometimes get more concerned about the end product than we do about who gets the credit. That's when we can look and say, God, we want your will to be done. That's when it's important. But when we get to a place where we want to be the one that makes the end product happen, over no matter anybody else, we want the one to plant that flag or to build that temple or for everyone to look at us at work and say, look at what you did, then we're only doing it for our own glory. We need to be doing it for God's glory. And whoever gets to do it, praise be his name. And that's the attitude David had. Now, I often talk about a seven-day challenge. And this is very interesting to me because this just hit me and it comes right straight from the scripture. When you read chapter 7, here's what happens is David has this idea and plan for his life, what he's going to do. Nathan brings a message from God to him. And then what David does in response is he prays about that message and he glorifies God about it. So here's your seven-day challenge. Over the next seven days, you're to pray about this specific message that you've heard today from God. What? Here's your question. What am I to do with this, God? How am I to respond to the message that you sent on Sunday to me? Maybe you will get an answer, maybe you will not, but you will be responding biblically because that's exactly what David did. David responded in prayer to the message he received from God through Nathan the prophet. So that is your challenge this week. Our God is great. Can somebody just say amen? Our God is, is greater than any other God. He is unique. He is the one and only true God. All the other gods are just man-made and made up. But the one true God is the great God that can do great things in our life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are a great God and beside you there is none other. But Lord, it's only through your name that, uh, Father, we can even get to see you. That's the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, through Christ, when we ask Him to take over our life and forgive us, we can have a connection with You and be Your child. And then from there, Father, You work in our life in a brand new way, not simply to just draw us to You, but to make us more like Jesus. That will impact people, impact this world, and make Your name great. Lord, if there's someone today that has not made that decision, that has not made that step, Lord, they will not understand how great and how wonderful You are until they commit their life to you by simply asking you to forgive them and to take over their life. Father, it is just that simple right now. Whoever it is, Lord, convict their heart to just simply ask and say, God, please forgive me and please take over my life. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ today and we pray that you will work in our life that, God, we will understand just how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.